Hi, I'm Derek McFadden, proud to be an author, a poet, and a lover of most things pop culture. I am also handicapped, born with a mild form of cerebral palsy. But please note, this podcast is not called Handicapped Writer. It is instead titled Writing While Handicapped, because that's what I do. Join me as we talk with folks in the book world. And this podcast looks at the world of literature from a perspective you haven't seen before. Welcome into a brand new episode of Writing While Handicapped. I'm Derek McFadden. I am the author of What Death Taught Terrence and the new book, The Santa Claus Agreement. I'm here with Greg Marshall. He is the author of Leg. The exact title, Craig, I, I always mess it up, so I want you to call it. It's Leg. It's the story of a limb and the boy who grew from it. And I was going to say, and the boy that grew from it, and that was going to annoy me till kingdom come. So thank you. <laughs> so, um, so tell us your story. I mean, how did it start for you? Do you want to start in your childhood or do you want to start when you're 30 and you find some stuff out? I don't know how you want to start. Let's, uh, well, the kind of premise of the book is that I was applying for private health insurance for the first time in my life in 2014, just before I turned 30 years old. And my uh, insurance application was flagged. And the insurance representative had all of these follow-up questions based on the information that I'd put on my application and he essentially asked, you know, what's the source of your traumatic brain injury? And uh-huh. I was sort of like, what traumatic brain injury are you talking about? I have, you know, this is all news to me. So uh, from that process, I uh, pulled my childhood medical records from primary children's in Salt Lake City, Utah, where I'm from. And there on every single page, uh, there were lines like, to whom it may concern, Greg Marshall has spastic cerebral palsy related oh. to prematurity. And uh, growing up, my parents had told me that I had tight tendons and that used another couple of terms that were related to CP, but they just weren't the money shot. They weren't kind of, uh, they weren't cerebral palsy. It wasn't right. this term that people knew and were conversant with and, and would recognize as a disability. So even though I had leg surgeries starting from the age of four years old on my Achilles tendon and on um, my hamstrings on both sides of my legs uh, through the years and had physical therapy and so many of the trappings of living with cerebral palsy, I never identified as a person with a disability. I just sort of thought that I was the only person on earth who had tight tendons and who walked with a limp because of tight tendons. And my disability was very much described to me in terms of a physical ailment um, as opposed to a neurological one. So, you know, I have kind of some uh, spatial reasoning issues at times, like I'll get really lost, uh, especially in the era before, you know, smartphones and um, GPS and things like that, you know, I'd get extremely lost or there were just small ways that my brain and my body worked different from other people but yes. I was never really able to take those uh, to take those things into account and kind of incorporate it into a larger sense of my identity. I just sort of was like, well, you know, I got really lost because I'm stupid or, you know, I'm yeah. struggling with driving in this or that way because I'm uncoordinated and incapable. So, so much of the time, kind of just this negative self-talk talk kind of um, 
took the place of a larger explanation. And so when I did discover, you know, that I have cerebral palsy and I've had it, you know, all along, I was diagnosed when I was 18 months old. It was this moment of epiphany for me where I kind of realized that I had a term that matched the magnitude of what I'd been through in my life. And I had a, you know, a happy childhood in so many ways. Um, and, you know, I loved my family a lot. And there were so many joys to growing up and coming of age, but it was also a complicated experience. And my life just suddenly made a lot more sense. And so when I looked back at my childhood with the knowledge of my diagnosis, it gave me the kind of distance that I needed to really bring my entire self to the page, you know, bring my whole yeah. person and my whole physical body and my mind to the page. And once I was able to do that, the story of my childhood just got like a lot more interesting. You know, these things that had kind of been funny childhood stories to me, like, you know, having show business dreams as a young closeted gay kid who was obsessed with The Wizard of Oz. I got to meet the actor who played a munchkin in The Wizard of Oz, Margaret Pellegrini, who I love was that famous. scene in the book. That scene in the book. Yeah, thank so, you. Yeah, I love it. Yeah, and she was she was famous both for being a sleepyhead munchkin, you know, in The Wizard of Oz, but also for living so long. She was one of the last surviving actors who had played a munchkin. And she only died, she actually died two weeks after I finished a draft of the essay. Uh, oh, wow. It was in, it was in 2013, I believe. And so I was like, oh my God, my writing kills people. Like how, <laughs> how has this happened that, that, you know, Margaret Pellegrini has lived all these years and just passed away at the ripe age of something in her maybe like mid eighties, you know, she'd really, right. so she had made a career for herself of visiting singing and acting troops, like my childhood acting troop up with kids. And, you know, so I had this experience where I met her and I, I was playing the scarecrow in my, you know, an up with kids production of the wizard of Oz. And it wasn't until I looked back as an adult, knowing that I was disabled, that I really saw meeting her as a confrontation with so many of my own demons and so much of my own internalized ableism as well as, you know, some external ableism, like the, mm -hmm. the way that my acting teachers had chosen to cast me or the roles that they had offered to give me. At one point in that chapter, uh, my acting teacher, you know, get, wants to give me the role of Quasimodo in Hunchback of Notre Dame. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, and it like hit, hit so close to home, way too close to home. And at that age, I wasn't able to you know, conceptualize it as ableism. I mean, to be honest with you, I didn't even learn the term ableism until I think it, I think it was 2014. I think it was just, you know, right after I found out about CP. So yeah. to just not even have a term that means, you know, discriminating against someone based on their body or based on their disability right. is kind of mind, mind blowing. I mean, like I'm also a gay person. And I couldn't imagine not having known the term homophobia or, well, maybe I, I guess I didn't probably know that term like as a kid, but yeah. So to not even have a term like ableism where it's like, oh, this is a, you know, you're being treated in this way because of your body. It, it's that just gives you context. It gives you context for what's actually happening. So you can actually go back and go, oh, that's what they were doing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. And kind of where you fit into 
a larger movement or just like a larger, yeah, a larger picture, you know, both within a family or within a culture. I was a, I, I was in a non-Mormon family, but we grew up in Salt Lake City. So it was a very, you know, LDS culture. Yeah. And so even, even that context of figuring out where you fit in, you know, kind of in terms of religion and belief. So all of those ways, I mean, I think that's what makes coming of age stories so interesting. And I think, you know, especially for people like us who have CP or who are, you know, folks yeah. living with disability, we don't have as many examples of of ourselves in the culture, you know, whether it's movies or, or books. And so right. I think writing the book, it was so important for me to foreground my leg because I I wanted to do kind of a traditional coming of age story, but with me in it or with, you know, someone like me in it, as opposed yeah. to kind of the, you know, the Wonder Years kid or, you know, just someone able-bodied that was... So did you originally, me. did you originally... Uh, conceptualize this as a novel that you were going to like put elements in or did you always know it was going to be a memoir oh I always knew it was going to be a memoir yeah okay I, I have an MFA in fiction mm -hmm. um but when I started writing these stories I just kind of always knew that they were things that had truly happened to me and it was important that I lay claim to them I I can't exactly describe why but I just was never interested in writing about any of this stuff as fiction. I just yeah, I really it. wanted to, um, yeah, it was just mine. And it just felt yeah. way too close to home to ever kind of want to fictionalize it. And I don't know exactly why that is. And I would love to write fiction, uh, you know, again, and I know, you know, you're a novelist. Yeah. And so I'd be so interested to talk to you about, you know, <laughs> refracting <laughs> I'll say there's so much of myself in that novel that it, in my first novel specifically, that it almost hurts. Mm -hmm. And that when people say like, oh, this isn't the experience that I had when I have palsy or whatever, it's like, well, but it was my experience. And then it's like, well, you should have been more universal. It's like, how do I be more universal when my main character has palsy? You either get it or you don't. <laughs> like, so I, I get why you went memoir for, and I mean, literally the first draft of my novel was therapy. I mean, it, it wasn't going to be seen by anybody. I mean, you know, it was like, how do I work through the stuff? See, because here's the thing, your parents did something really interesting, which was not tell you about your palsy. Uh, and my parents from the, from the jump said, you have this. And mm -hmm. what that, what that did, I mean, I understand both approaches. I do. Because from your parents' point of view, they don't want you to feel disabled. Boom. Mm -hmm. Because because the minute, the minute that I heard you have palsy, it was like, I am now in this camp. There's nothing I can do to get out of it. I am disabled. I am, I am marked. Mm -hmm. And it was writing that was going to help me get out of being just the kid with palsy. The reason this this podcast is called writing while handicapped is it's called it's it's not called handicapped while writing that is i need my main identity to be what i do not what i am yeah that's such an interesting point about kind of using writing to leverage yourself out of a yeah. certain camp or to because i think that's exactly what i did um mm -hmm. in my own way you know i think that writing was something I could do at my own pace. 
yes. in kind of in my own time. And it was something where my, I guess, neurodiversity or however you'd want to put it sure. um, could actually be like an asset where, you know, I, I saw the world a little differently or like my brain was a little quirky. And so putting that on the page actually led to interesting results, you know, yeah. kind of with time. And I, you know, I mean, I think the Salt Lake culture that I grew up in was so, I guess, aggressively able-bodied. I don't want to <laughs> say ableist, but it was a very like skiing and hiking. And like, if you're not like bungee jumping this weekend, like what the hell are you doing with your life kind of culture? Well, and when I was on match.com, that's how everybody was out hiking. Everybody's hiking. Everybody's mountain climbing. I'm like, these are things I do not do. I don't even, I don't even understand why you would do that. Like I, I, it's nice. I mean, I feel, I can go go feel the wind in my face and not climb a mountain. It's totally cool. Uh, So I, it made me, I I felt out of place in uh, the Pacific Northwest in a way because I wasn't going out to REI and getting hiking poles and getting this and that. I just wasn't doing that. Yeah. Well, you know, I mean, as disabled people, we're already athletes just living, like just being ourselves. <laughs> and, you know, it's kind of, uh, I don't know, I read some line, and I don't know if this is, you know, medically true, but someone was saying that, you know, it took X amount of stretching to help a child with CP get yeah. the same amount of, you know, rotation and movement that a kid without CP would get just naturally. Oh, so just sense. thinking about yeah. all of the body bodily intervention and all of the work that you know we have to do on ourselves just to kind of get through a day it's like yeah I don't need to go hike a mountain like I'm already I'm already doing it (laughs) you know to some extent Um, I did go up to Machu Picchu when I was a kid and I had people on both sides of me so that I didn't you know and and I'll I'll say Machu Picchu not built for the handicapped they were not you know the ink I think it was the Incas the Incas were not thinking hmm I wonder if a handicapped person will ever walk these stones no, they were not thinking that. Whoa, what an incredible experience. Yeah, wow. it was pretty great. My dad built a lodge in Peru when I was a kid. And I was like, okay. And then we 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 went up to Machu Picchu. It was crazy. Wow. That's I would love to read about that experience. <laughs> I should write an essay about it because it, it was there it, there was a whole I I mean, we went there twice and it, it was it was great. Uh so it was in the it was in the jungle down down one of the tributaries of the Amazon. So we got to hold caimans and everything and and uh I mean just crazy stuff. What are what are caimans? They are that's actually what the Cayman Islands are named for. They're they're oh. like they're like tiny alligator crocodile things that if you, you don't want them to bite you because you'll lose a foot or a toe. And uh oh. and so my brother was actually he fancied himself Indiana Jones back then. He was like twelve. And he had his Indiana Jones hat and he was like, dad, let me hold the Cayman. So we had all these guests that had paid to be at my dad's lodge in the boat. And he is holding the Cayman and he suddenly drops the Cayman. And dad says, what are you doing? He says, a mosquito bit me. And it's like, now all these people are like trying to get their feet out of the way so they don't get bit by this Cayman. Oh my gosh. That's... Wow, yeah. that needs to go in your next book for sure. <laughs> what, what what was your dad's background that he was doing that that work down there? So he had been in marketing forever, and he just took a trip, uh, a random trip to Peru. Loved the 
love the beauty and stuff. And it was the nineties. So, you know, people had money. It's not, not, not what it was now. Um, and my dad was like, Hey, the money, uh, uh, the land's cheap there. Let's get, let's. And he literally came home. And this is the first thing he said to me when he comes through the door, he says, I'm going to build a lodge in Peru with a guy named Marcos. And I said, I'm going to go call my best friend and we're going to laugh at you for like an hour because that is <laughs> fully one of the most hilarious things I've ever heard in my life. Uh, wow. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So when I read your book and, you know, your family is so diversified and your sense of humor, I was like, I understand these people. I do. Your dad taking you uh, on that trip was one of the like that must have been a really amazing experience. And you can see that he's doing it for you. And I, I'm sure you couldn't see that necessarily at the time, but you do reflect back on it in the book afterwards. Yeah. Yeah. So so this is the uh, trip my dad and I took with my uh, French class. For, I think it was the summer of eighth grade going into ninth grade. And he was one of the few parent chaperones to come on the trip. So it was our, our French teacher who was like a, he was like a Saturday Night Live style mm -hmm. French teacher. He mm -hmm. was, um, he, you know, he was from France. And I think he'd maybe converted to Mormonism. And that is how he'd ended up uh. in Salt Lake City. Uh, but he was this larger than life character and he believed in kind of full language immersion. So we were these little Utah kids and <laughs> I didn't even know how to say words in uh, without a French accent, like certain words for the longest time. Like I thought instead of saying crepe, everybody said clep, for example, <laughs> you know, because it was just how, you know, is how he taught us how to speak in that classroom. And so yeah, and so we took this this trip, and in so many ways, it was kind of the typical middle school trip to France. We went to the Loire Valley and to Paris, and you know, the entire time, I was worried that my dad was going to ask if I was gay. And he was so popular and so well liked because he was just this affable, fun um, presence. And so, you know, my French teacher really bonded with him, and the other kids on the trip really like loved him and connected with him and meanwhile i was still just me you know yeah, i was right. like this closeted gay kid with a limp who you know people i thought i was fine but i was no bob marshall and so <laughs> it, yeah it was it was really you know i think um i think you know traveling with with a disability is interesting in and of itself yes. because it's yes. kind of a heightened my friend ryan o'connell who has cp says, you know, when he, when he travels, CP is the star, is the way that he puts it. Yeah. And, y you know, you're so out of sorts. And I think for for maybe like my dad, who, you know, had traveled some in college and was, you know, very, you know, athletic and capable in so many ways I wasn't, you know, that kind of discombobulation can be really fun. But for me, I think especially at that age, it was really unsettling it was like right i was out of a routine i was taxing my body in some different ways that i wasn't used to and so i'd love actually now that i'm you know a proper adult to travel more because i'd love to you know i'd love to experience the world and to test yeah. myself yeah. in those ways but i think i had a knee-jerk dislike of travel when i was a kid just because i mean i love you know like hanging out on the beach or something like that. Oh, sure. But when it was a family reunion and we were all supposed to ski black diamonds, you know, <laughs> down a mountain, it was just sort of like, 
I am going to literally die. And how do you kind of explain, how do you explain that to your, you know, wonderful cousins and siblings when they're having a blast and you're kind of, you know, you don't want to be left out, but also you want to oh, live. Yeah. Me <laughs> yeah. at the, so me at skiing place, whenever, my, so my brother and my dad love to ski. And here's me. I'm just like, please put me up in the ski lodge. Let make sure there's plenty of uh, hot chocolate and I'm good. I do not need this. Like I, I don't, I will tell you like there, there's one thing that I learned from your book that I did not know. And now I feel like, okay, mind blown a little bit. So I'm also legally blind because God has a sense of humor and he's like, he's not disabled enough. So we need to make it worse. So I always thought that my lack of direction had to do with my lack of vision. And now I'm like, oh, it's probably more palsy than anything else. And it's just hard for me to find landmarks because I can't see. <laughs> but that's, yeah, this is so interesting. One question I have for you is, and I noticed this just from having the book out and getting to have more conversations like this. Yeah. I feel like I, I thought that I knew so little about my body because I was so late coming to my diagnosis. But I feel like there's this level of improvisation that oh, yeah. we all are going through where I don't know if it's because once we, you know, turned 18 and, you know, the orthopedic specialist or whoever was kind of manning our care kind of stepped back, at least in my case, and was like, yeah, okay, no, like, in my raised. case too, said we're done you know? and uh, you're yeah. good and uh, that's as good as I can get it, you know? Yeah, um, and it's like, yeah. And, and yeah, now coming to these questions like, okay, how does my brain work? Or what is a symptom of CP? Like, is my body overheating and needing to, you know, is my profuse sweating? Is that yes. like a CP thing? Or is that just like a being a 38 year old guy thing? Yeah. You know, and so, yeah, I so that's so interesting that you point that out. Yeah, it's uh, so I, I call those improvisations just workarounds, because there's so many things. One of the things that I don't know how to do I'm a, I'm a writer. I write books. I don't, I, I don't know how to write freehand. Just, mm. it was one of the things that, that uh, public school said, oh, he just needs to learn how to write his first name and then we're good. And because, mm. because they said, well, it's just going to take, I mean, I guarantee you, they were like, well, it just, it's going to take too long for him to learn the whole thing. He's going to leave the other kids behind or, or, or make them, he's going to be behind the other kids. So let's just have him learn his, and you know, and if, first grade Derek's like that sounds awesome you guys go learn all the letters I'll just learn the five I need and you can all go away you know yeah um, and uh and then I was a March of Dimes poster child because my dad worked at the March of Dimes so for a long time I was a poster child and then they changed it to ambassador I think partially because I did not want to quit <laughs> <laughs> and uh because I enjoyed you know there, uh, there are palsy perks. I'm not even going to lie to you. There are things that have happened to me because I have palsy. And I, I don't feel bad about it. Because <laughs> you know it, it was a good time. That, that's the other thing is when that stuff ended, it, it took away part of my identity. Um, mm -hmm. I had always done radio shows. When you, when you talk in the book about doing news broadcasts in your living room, my mom has reams of videotape of just us putting on fake plays or whatever. Uh, one of them, I'm not even kidding you, I was supposed to get our dog, big, big mutt of a dog, 
to like attack my brother who was playing like this toy maker. And he was like, I have made all these inventions and you will. And I was supposed to get the dog to attack him and knock over the toy inventions. And then he was going to act all pissed off. You know, he's an actor. So he was going to do that. Well, the dog didn't, didn't get the memo. So the dog just started, just climbed on my back and started humping me. This is a female dog who just said, I need to hump something. Oh, look, it's Derek's back. And I said, I'm not going to, I'm not going to ruin this take. So I just dragged myself through frame and waited till my mom blew up laughing. Cause I said, Oh my God, that's going to be the funniest thing we ever do. I don't even care. <laughs> that is commitment to the yeah. role. I love that. <laughs> well, see, my brother's an actor and I never felt that I could be. I always thought I could teach it, could at least teach, you know, how to write. I could maybe even teach, almost teach a performance. I've done that where, where you kind of direct a performance to somebody. But I always thought they're just going to say, oh, there's that guy with palsy, you know. And mm-hmm. I also like one time I was, <laughs> I was coming in to get a haircut. And I come walking in with my limping uh, right foot, which, you know, we all know what that's like. My right foot looks like it's been put on backwards. Like the doctors were just like, well, uh, let's screw this on wrong. Okay, cool. So like whenever I think I'm clear, my right foot's like, no, you're not. You think you are, but you're not. And um, so I was coming in to get my hair cut and the lady, I mean, just completely truth. She, she thought she was asking a fair question. She just goes, did you just get back from the war? Oh my God. <laughs> and I, I, you know, I knew she wasn't trying to be, I was like, no, no, this is how I am. She goes, and then she goes, well, thank you for your service. And I was like, <laughs> okay, I'm not going to tell her she's completely wrong. I'm not going to tell yeah. her that like that has, I have never served and like, no, I'm not going to tell her that. I'm not going to say it, uh, but I'll never forget it. <laughs> Well, yeah, so much of so much of the era that we grew up in, like I'm 38. And so yeah, you know, I'm 41 came now, of age. But yes. Okay. Yeah. So kind of same age. I think that because people were so much less conversant about disability back then, yes. you really could walk into landmines, if you'll pardon the pardon the pun, yeah, where yeah. people were completely unprepared to, I think, because I think now, and maybe it's just that I'm more out about being disabled but i think now people wouldn't naturally just sort of think oh like he was injured on the tennis court or derek's <laughs> just come back from war right. i think they might you know go to more of a disability place maybe and so but some of those i think some of the comedy that i found looking back on my life or or kind of not comedy but just almost like a french farce where there are these grand misunderstandings or, or like a, a sitcom it misunderstanding feels to me almost like a gallows humor that we almost yes. share that we almost share mm-hmm. as people with palsy and it's like people who don't have palsy who know us almost don't want to share in it and you have to you have to say it's okay it's funny to me you can think it's funny it's okay yeah and you you have to okay it with them or else they're like well that just seems wrong yeah that's so true i think one of the things that's interesting about writing about cerebral palsy versus kind of living it is that I think when it's your book and your world, you're yeah. kind of free to, you're kind of free to finish the joke. I mean, you're kind of free yes. to hold court 
and just sort of create that space over a prolonged period of time where it's okay to laugh about it or to feel a range of things about it, like uncomfortable about it, or, you know, it's okay to have a fuller experience. I think so often in our world of social niceties and things like that, you know, I go places in the book that I would never go just at a bar with my friends. In normal time. Yes, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. And so I think it's that kind of heightened, I mean, you kind of mentioned acting and I think it's, you know, writing itself is a performance. And I think that getting to be a performer and kind of hold court can be really fun when you're, you know, kind of uh, working with the, you know, a marginalized identity or a, uh, something that's not just the the mainstream where you can kind of just right. be like, listen, I want you to kind of stew and marinate in the discomfort of all of this. Because once we get past the discomfort, we can find like humor and we can find like, you know, heart wrenching moments and we can find meaningful things, but you kind of have to like push past the cringe yeah. a little bit. 100%. My friend, uh, Bradley Harper, who's who's an author, he he's read my book, but he, he's read the first one. It's, you know, the What Death Taught Terrence one. And, my, mm-hmm. and the idea there is that basically you have a, a guy with palsy who kind of feels like he's lived an unfulfilled life. And on page one, he dies and has to talk to God and figure out life review, basically. But the thing that, that Brad said about, about my book was he said, you have to understand that your book is like climbing a mountain. And not everybody really wants to do that. And they only, they'll come to it when they come to it. So I feel like being able to understand that, like I thought that when my book came out, everybody would be like, oh my gosh, like I, I, it took me 12 years to write it. It took me 12 years to write it. So I thought after 12 years, I felt like I graduated high school again. Like mm-hmm. I did this all over again. And then, and then like, and then COVID hit because I happened to put my book out in February of 2020, which was, uh, turns out not so awesome. Uh, Cause uh, if I wish somebody had told us, you know, there's going to be some stuff that happens. You might want to hold off. Might yeah. want to wait just a couple of years and then we'll find out what it, you know, but nobody, nobody said that. So, um, but you know, I think realizing where I stand in this whole writer's world, like that we all have, we all have different life paths. We all have different writing journeys. I mean, I mm-hmm. I would say I wouldn't be a writer without my dad. And I would say maybe you wouldn't be a writer without your mom or your dad. Yeah. Yeah. And, I think that's, that's so true. And that, you know, the writing, the writing journey is just such a metaphor for other things in life. Yes. Um, and I've, I've learned a lot from, you know, the book was, rejected a lot of times it took years and years to come out it took years to kind of find an editor who would take a chance on it and so I don't think any of that is unique to like my experience but I think it's just a good it's a good reminder yeah I love how you said that that all writing journeys are a little bit different and they all have their different like ups and downs and I guess just the ability to get to do it is sort of the yeah the cool thing at the end of the day well, and non-writers don't understand that they're like, why do you write if you aren't sure you're going to get a reward? And it's like, the reward is the endorphin release I get when I know I've written something that doesn't suck. The reward yeah. is that, oh my God, I did that. And that wouldn't exist if I hadn't sat down and done it. Yeah. Like, yeah, you can hold, yeah. You can you can hold a book in your hand and you can say, this book would literally not exist. I could just not have done it and it would not be here. Like flat yeah. out. And 
just knowing that is so empowering. It is. When did you when did you start writing? Oh God, I was six or seven. My dad, mm. my my dad was a writer, and uh, my third grade teacher uh, that they, they did some like writers workshop stuff, and uh, my third grade teacher at the open house said to my dad, "He's going to be a published writer. He's that good." Wow. Do you and remember so, what you were writing about? Oh God, uh, Berenstein Bears. I mean, I think I was Berenstein Bear <laughs> fan fictioning because you know. Who doesn't Berenstein Bear fan fiction? You know, because Papa Q Bear is freaking awesome. That guy rules. That's all I can say. <laughs> He's such a stud. Yeah. I, yeah, that guy. I mean, sister <laughs> and brother bear couldn't ask for a better Papa Q Bear. That's what I'm I just really, you know, and Mama Bear, you know that she loves her Papa Bear. <laughs> yeah, he is a stud. He's also like kind of a style icon. Oh, I yeah. Feel like he would now he would live in like Williamsburg or something. His, his hats, you know? his hats were were like on point. <laughs> they really were. Oh my gosh! And so was it? I loved what you had said before about like you know you kind of graduate from high school. Or you're you know you kind of hit a certain age and yeah. the the help or the guidance or the script kind of falls out. So yeah. what happened? So kind of you know what happened for you kind of after high school or what was, was your journey i was really lucky that my dad is one of those parents who was like you will stay at home as long as you want mm-hmm. um the 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 part that's not lucky about that is now i'm having to learn all the things i should have learned in my 20s uh like how to just do simple household things my roommate is really nice about it and she's helping and all that but I was nervous to, I mean, originally I wanted to go to, I wanted to go to Pullman. I wanted to do, I, I wanted to go to um, Washington State University for broadcasting. Um, mm-hmm. I wanted to do radio. I uh, had friends in radio. I had done, I had done radio on in here in Seattle a little bit. And I really wanted to do that. And also I think there was a part of me that said, and literally I remember saying this, if I'm on the radio, no one has to know. Hmm. No one will say, oh, there's that guy who does, who has palsy, who's on the radio. They'll just say that guy on the radio has, you know, has the voice and sounds like this or whatever, you know. I think there was a part of me that that thought, well, I don't want to do TV because uh, then people will see it. Um, I, yeah. I, haven't, I haven't had to do a leg release, but that's only because I am a squat gentleman. Um, <laughs> and I, um, that's one of the things I'm very glad for, actually. Like, my mom is 5'3", and my dad is six foot, and thank God. Because if I was, like, 6'5", I would have had surgeries like yours. And I'm sure that you're fine now, but they sound awful. Um, mm-hmm. They don't sound fun. And, uh, you know, and so there's certain things that I was able to avoid, uh, thanks to that. And then I, I know my dad had said to my best friend, thank you for letting my son like sports because he was mm. sure, he was sure that I wasn't going to be into sports because I can't play them. And mm-hmm. it was my best friend, Luke, who kind of taught me how, how baseball worked and was very patient with a legally blind guy going, okay, so where's the pitcher's mound and what's he doing? And what, are, I mean, literally the, the questions were so dumb. My questions were the dumbest questions you could ever ask about about baseball. Like, what is that spheroid flying through the air? But he answered all of them. And so I think the key to that is just having friends that are that are kind and and having having parents that want you around. 
I think it's really easy uh, with somebody as somebody who has palsy to feel like, what's my purpose in life? And why am I here? And if you don't feel protected and loved by the people who are around you, it can become a really tough uh, question to answer. Oh, man, that's so, so beautifully put. I'd never thought of it in those terms. And, and also just how I think having CP makes you develop a, um, a kind of a gift for metaphor. I mean, you know what you were saying about yes. maybe not being able to play all of the sports that you love so much. I mean, I'm an avid tennis fan mm -hmm. and, um, you know, could just watch Wimbledon like 10 hours a day, but it, it's, it's sort of, yeah, I think it can be, I think it teaches you a kind of fandom that's really, yeah, that can be really beautiful because I think that like, of course, 99.9% .9 of us aren't going to take on Novak Djokovic at Wimbledon. Right. I mean, like that's, you know, like not the most, you know, my very for yourself, Greg, you know, that I am yeah. about to take him on and <laughs> you know that uh, I'll fall off out of my face and people will love to watch it because I can't imagine running. Uh, oh, if people want to get in touch with you and learn more about your writing, where would they, where would they go to do that? Um, you know, I'm, I'm still on Twitter. I'm one of those, those holdouts. So uh, I am too. My, yeah. <laughs> I'm, so my Twitter handle is uh, Greg R. Marshall. And I'm kind of just always on there. I'm also on okay. Instagram and my handle is Greg from a leg. Um, <laughs> okay. <laughs> which like is it. a handle my, my friend came up with and I'm kind of proud of it. <laughs> uh, yeah. And so I'm just, I'm always, I'm always hanging out there and I know, I feel like we could talk for another could, hour. And I'm, oh I'm, no, it was, it was so perfect. Yeah. The, so okay, I'm so reachable. I'm out there. He, he's reachable. The book is Leg, The Story of a Limb and the Boy Who Grew From It. Yes? Yeah. Yep. Who, not that. And the boy who grew from it. I got it this time. Yay for me. This has been Writing Well Handicapped. Thank you so much for joining us, Greg. And goodbye, everybody. Writing Well Handicapped is a podcast solely owned by the Authors on the Air Global Radio Network. <laughs>